chapter 12, um, 13 through 21, and 32 through 34. All right. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said, Listen to them. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 32-34 Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gosh. Um, Heavenly Father, um, we come to you tonight. Um, I want to thank you for everyone in this room um, and for helping us make it through another week. Um, I want to thank you for Chris Horn. Um, please use his, use his words tonight for your greater good. Um, we are thankful for who you are. You are gracious and good even in the littlest things. Um, we love you. Amen. Good to see you guys. Welcome uh, to RUF again. If you've been here before, a special welcome to you if this is your first time. Um, we are just thrilled and delighted to have you with us. We don't expect that everyone in this room is a religious person or consider themselves a Christian. And uh, we are especially thankful if you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian. You're welcome. We're not surprised that you're here. It's not weird that you're here. We're just glad that all of you are here. So uh, thank you for being here. Um, I just want to say to you before we get started, our community groups kicked off last night. If you still want to be in a community group, you still can. Fill out that form or talk to me. Or is, where's Jamal? See John Martin or Maddie Sharp. Where's Maddie Sharp? Uh, sitting right next to each other, of course. So, um, so when I moved to Boone... Uh, I, I moved from Georgia, the Savannah area of Georgia, and if you've ever been to Georgia, it's a wonderful, magical place um, where God's favor rests heavily um, in every corner. And, um, but it's very much unlike Boone, and I remember driving up the mountain in Blowing Rock to come to move, like in the moving truck, and just being like amazed and just overwhelmed by the, the beauty, you know, but maybe you guys had this feeling the first time you came up on like a visit or something like that. But what's amazing is how quickly um, you can just like sort of stop seeing that. Some of you guys that have been here for like a couple years, um, you know this feeling of like you're on the parkway, not to just go on the parkway, but you're on the parkway to get somewhere, and you just drive past Thunder Hill Overlook, and you just like don't even notice, you just you know just go by. And um, there's a sense that we see it all the time, and even the most beautiful thing, we can just not see it anymore. And what I love about freshmen being here every year is that for freshmen and for first-year students, this is all new. And you guys help us that have been here before to see the beauty again because we've seen it so many times that we just literally can't see it anymore. We just don't notice it anymore. And this semester, we're looking at these stories called parables, 
which are stories that Jesus told where he would use something very normal that we see and can touch and interact with and tell a story about it, but he would use that story to show us something that we can't see or something that's unfamiliar to us, something that is unseen even to us. And tonight in this passage, he's showing us something in this parable that it's, it's not like we can't see it. Maybe we'd say we don't want to see it, but it's, we've become so accustomed to it as a reality that we don't even see it anymore. Um, this is like if you were born or like if you were 10, if you got a ringing in your ear, by this point, you don't even hear it anymore, right? Because you've become so close, to, uh, so accustomed to hearing it. So what is the thing that Jesus is showing us that we're so used to seeing? Um, there's this, Jesus is teaching this crowd and there's this guy and he sees Jesus and he perceives that he has some sort of authority. He calls him a rabbi. And so he wants to use Jesus for a uh, financial sort of family interpersonal reason. There's an inheritance. He wants his brother to, to split it with him. Okay. I don't know how many of you, I know some of you have, have ever been through like an inheritance battle in your family. Um, I have, and it's not pretty. Uh, there's, there's a family member that I was recently talking to. I've never once thought about her money or like what will become of her money one day. I just never, I just, I just never thought like, oh, I would maybe get that money or some of that money at all until this summer I was, we were at her house and we were talking and she just sort of mentioned casually like what she was going to do with her money, like how her will was set up. And then suddenly I was like, I want that money. Um, uh, I could, I could use that money. And, um, of course I wasn't getting it, which is probably a good call on her part. Um, but like this really kind of gross part of me came out like inside where I was like, I, before she was just a person that I loved and now she's like a person that has money for me potentially, or doesn't have money for me as the case may be. And Jesus is telling this guy, he's saying, look, because of this inheritance, something yucky inside of you is probably about to be shown and is actually showing itself. And the thing that, he, that he's saying is the problem. He says, be on your guard against all covetousness. And that word means the desire to have more and more. Um, the problem that Jesus is getting at isn't that possessions or wealth is bad. Okay. He tells him this story, but he's not saying possessions are bad. The Bible actually never says that having things is bad, that, that wealth in and of itself is an evil thing. Okay? Um, but what he's saying and what the scripture says and what Jesus has to say to us tonight is that there's a lot of danger in possessions and in wealth. Because the danger of them is you think that if you get it, that you'll be secure, that things will be okay. If you just have enough, then you can protect yourself from unhappiness or discomfort and things will be okay. So he tells this parable about this rich farmer, okay? This rich farmer, his, his crops are so abundant, he doesn't have any, anywhere to put them. So what he does is he tears down his barns, he builds bigger barns to put all of this food in. The problem isn't that he was successful. The problem is that he sits back and he says to himself um, in verse... 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That he looks at his riches and he says, things are going to be all right. I'm going to be good for several years. I can just coast from here. This is sort of like a retirement plan where he can just ride it out. And God, this is the only parable that God actually shows up and says something in, which is really interesting. Usually it's like somebody acting as God. God shows up and he goes, look, man. 
It's over. You've got all this stuff stored up. This is your last day on the earth. And a, a friend of mine used to always say, like, you can't hitch the, U, uh, the U-Haul to the hearse. You ever heard anybody say that? You can't hitch the U-Haul to the hearse. All these things that you thought were going to make you safe and secure are gone, man. And who knows who they will be. Um, it's a warning for the man in the crowd that wants the inheritance. And it's a warning for us because I if, think if we're honest with ourselves, we're fairly similar to this guy in the crowd. And we're fairly similar to this rich farmer um, in the story. And what I'm pitching at you and what I think Jesus is pitching at us is that we're so used to operating with a sense that the things that I have are mine. And the things that I get, I use to make sure I'm okay. Um, That we don't even see it anymore. We don't even understand that we operate on that assumption and that everyone around us operates with that assumption. That we are actually enslaved, not to money, not to having things, which are good and they're blessings, but we're enslaved to ourselves. So this is what I'm calling the tyranny of self. Probably nobody in here is going to say, I think that if I get enough stuff, I won't die. Okay? Like I saw like a magazine in Crossroads that said, it was a picture of a baby, and it's like, this, child, this person could live to 140. And it's like, that was, it's impressive. Like I, don't, I did not read whatever it was about, because um, I don't read these things. Um, no one posted it on Facebook, so I didn't see the article. Um, But even if this child lives to 140, they're still going to die. And none of us probably think, if I get everything I want, if I just have enough, I'm not going to die. Or I'm ultimately going to be happy. We wouldn't say that. But we're all terrified of being uncomfortable um, and being unhappy. And we think that if we get certain things, we won't have to be uncomfortable or be unhappy. And Jesus says, you're hedging your bets with the wrong thing. There was an article um, in the Appalachian. Thank you, Charlotte. You didn't write it, but you work for the Appalachian. So, um, Appalachian, fantastic uh, newspaper. But it was talk- maybe you guys saw it. It was talking about like where we're trending as majors as a university. Did you guys see this article? And it was saying that like it has it has become that the most popular majors at Appalachian State are very career safe majors. Does that make sense? Like if you get if you major in this thing, you get this degree, you have a seventy five percent chance or higher of getting a job in that field, right? And that the five least popular majors are among the least employable, like the least career safe. And he said, is anyone a geology major? Exactly. Um, (laughs) I guess the statistics would bear that out. Um, That it's like, it's less than 45% career safe. Does that make sense? Um, Because, look, almost all of us come to college and choose to major in something that's going to give us a stable job. It's going to be a stable job, but it's also going to be a job that I like, right? Because it has to be stable. Like, I actually have to have a job and be employed and do well for myself. It has to be stable. But it has to be a job that I like because I don't want to be unhappy at work. Does that make sense? So you kind of find that middle ground. What's the thing that I kind of like, but I can also kind of get a job, right? Um, And so you want to get the job so you can have the stable life that you want. And then you want to meet the person that you're compatible with, but it's also attractive, um, so that you can be happy with them. You can share this happy, stable life together. Is this, I mean, probably sounding somewhat familiar. Um, 
I have no idea what you said. We're just going to keep on going. Um, uh, and I, 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 most of the time when I ask you, this is, by the way, this is all like, this is really hard for me. So, um, but usually when I ask you like, what is, what is your life look like five to 10 years from now? Usually it's like, I'm doing what I like and I'm sharing that life with the person I like, living in the house I like, in the town I like, in the neighborhood that I like where I'm happy and safe. And like, we will make decisions about like where to live based on how safe I feel there. Like how safe my family, and you'll like make a decision on where your kids should go to school based on how safe you perceive them to be and how well they're going to function in school. Is this making sense? Okay. Um, And if we're not careful, what Jesus is saying to us, I think, is that our life will be a list. My house, my dog, my kids, my career, my schedule, my time, my future, my retirement. And that's going to, that is going to be the bulk of our lives. Again, nothing wrong at all with having things. But our self begins to say, you have to do things and move towards things that are going to maximize you. And everything we do is a way to maximize ourselves and to keep us from being unhappy or uncomfortable. Um, <clears throat> Happiness and comfort are good things, but they are not ultimate goals. So, um, if you will allow me, I will hazard a couple of ways that I think I see this insidious thing in your lives. And uh, you can tell me if any of this uh, rings true. It's very subtle, okay? So, I'll ask you. Hey, it's like, so you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I don't, again, don't assume that you guys all are, of course. And um, I'll say, cool, are you a member of, like, a church? I'm like, well, I I mean, I'm only going to be here for, like, two or three more years. So I don't really know if it's the right thing for me to invest myself in this church when I'm just going to leave in a couple years. But you see, like, sort of the underlying current is when I invest myself, I get a profitable return from that investment. Because I didn't see any of you guys, like, not make friends because... In three years, you're not going to be friends with 90% of the people that you're friends with. Um, Just saying. Eight out of the ten people that you interact with in a day, you interact with them because you saw them. Um, So it's... it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to con- commit myself to this church because I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. No matter what the church might be missing from your service and your commitment to it. I think actually what's going on is it's like, I don't know if I want to like put my name on that line. Cause if I do, then I have to keep going there. Even if I find a church I like better. Um, it's like, whoops. Um, you found one that you liked a little bit better. Okay. So maybe that's not you. Um, maybe I, We've had some people that gone out from our groups and students that gone to be REF interns at other schools. Okay, they raise like thirty something thousand dollars a year. So I'll, you know, maybe we're having this conversation. And I go, hey, have you? Um, and uh, you know, you guys have a lot of friends that have done short term missions. We have our own interns here. People raising money. So I'm like, hey, did you? Um, have you like supported such and such? And it's like, well, no, I mean not now, because um, I don't really have any money. But like one day. When I get a job, like, I really want that to be part of my... And that's, like, a really good virtue. Like, I want to be a giving person. Uh, until I took this job, my wife and I never made combined more than $22,000 a year. Um, and we, we did fine. And I can tell you, as a fact, I was more generous 
when we made $20,000 a year than the ungodly amounts of money that we make um, now. There's always this assumption that when we have more, we're going to give more. It is not true. Um, and I think really what's underneath that is, hey, when I get out of college and I get in my career and I'm stable and all my needs are met and then I have something left over that won't jeopardize me financially, then I will give of the leftover stuff. You know, that I have just sitting around. Um, or, we'll go dating. Everybody wants to do dating. Let's talk about dating. Um, you've been with your boyfriend or girlfriend for a long time, okay? And you're in love. It's like Wes and Sarah in love. Um, and uh, because he calls her his beloved, I assume they're in love. And, um, and so I'll be like, hey, so you guys think about getting married? And you're like, ah, <laughs> we're just sophomores. And I'm like, yeah, but you're like struggling sexually. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, I mean, we want to get married, but I mean, we want to get out of college, graduate, and both get into our careers. And then when we're stable, then we can get together. Like, because there's a, there's a sense that like, I couldn't possibly be married and be in an uncomfortable, unhappy situation and be married. I have to set all my pieces together, and then we'll have maximum potential for happiness and stability. And so then I'm like, well, if it's going to be three more years before you get married, you guys should probably break up. Um, because you're just going to continue like leading each other to sin over and over and over again. And you're like, well, I can't. We can't break up. Um, and I'm like, why not? And they're like, well, because then I would be alone, and I would be unhappy if I was alone. So it's like you can't get married because it's unsafe, but you can't break up because you'd be unhappy. So you just keep doing like the eternal sin spirit damaging thing because that doesn't feel as real. So I say all those things not to just like lay heavy guilt on you, even though I'm sure that has happened. Um, but just to say that even though it's really, really subtle, our stories are about us. Where we are the main actor and everyone else is sort of a cast member. Um, and we are trapped in this story about an insecure little tyrant named myself. And they always have to be taken care of. Um, and a question that my wife likes to ask a lot of times is like, what, what story are we living right now? What's this story all about? And honestly, it's usually about two people trying to be happy and make the other one happy and, like, not have bad things happen. And that story kind of sucks. Like, it's not a fun story, number one. Not, I'm, not, I'm not pitching that marriage is supposed to be super fun. It's not super fun all the time. But it isn't a very good story. And Jesus comes to this guy who is, like, in hostility with his own brother because his brother won't divide the inheritance with him. He might have a really good case. But he comes to him and he loves him by being brutally honest with him. This is how Jesus loves people a lot, by just being super honest with them about what's going on with them. And he says, yeah, yeah, stability is nice. Happiness is good. If you can get it, get it. But you know what? You are going to die. And your encounter with death might be a lot sooner than you think it's going to be. And then what? And then what happens? Um, my wife's grandmother is a wonderful woman that I love dearly, Geraldine Haas. 
of uh, oh, what's the name of the town she lives in? Somewhereville, Pennsylvania. And um, but she's probably classified as a hoarder. And she has like boxes and boxes of pom poms. You know, like the, not like the big ones, like the little ones that like would go on like the frill of like a king's garment or something. Like a, and, um, and she couldn't possibly get rid of them. But the reality is, like something of her is bound up in that. And everyone else is like, please don't get more stuff because this is going to be a nightmare when you die. And that sounds awful, but like that is what every single person. This is a burden. To everyone else. And Jesus comes to this guy and he says, One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life, my life, does not consist in having enough stuff. We, our life doesn't consist of what we possess. Our life consists in who possesses us. Because we aren't creators. We aren't the creator. We are creatures. And our entire happiness and joy comes from being possessed, created by God. Um, I love Toy Story for so many reasons. I'm very into Pixar movies. Last year was my Frozen phase. Um, probably because I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old uh, girls. And, and I just think, man, Elsa and Anna, they're talking about the gospel. And anyway, um, but what I love about Toy Story is that Woody finds his sort of his identity and his strength and his courage by looking on the bottom of his boot. Because what's written on the bottom of his boot? Andy. He's Andy's toy. He belongs to Andy. He is possessed by Andy. And that's where his strength and his joy comes from. And what Jesus is doing is he's coming along and he's saying, look, that story that you're leading kind of sucks. And he doesn't say, feel really bad about that story and stop doing that. Okay? He says, your father who created you has a better story for you. Because Jesus was radically focused on others. So if we're tyrannized by ourselves, there's a lot of freedom that Jesus gives us in focusing on others, on being others focused. Jesus poured out everything that was his by right. The stuff you have and I have, we got as a gift. The stuff that Jesus had, he got just by being gone. And he poured everything out. He gave everything away for the good of another. He gave up the benefits of being God to become a human being because human beings needed saving. Because human beings were in need. Um, He reflected all the glory he got to God the Father. He gave up his safety. I've been in the room when three children were born. Okay? They were all mine, by the way. And um, besides that one, you know, anyway. Um, And never did I think, I want to take this child straight, fresh from the womb, like right into the earth, and put them into something that that animals eat out of. That would be a good spot for them. That feels safe. I feel like a little weird just for my wife to hold them. I'm like, you're probably not as clean as you could be. You did just birth a child. Um, But Jesus gave up his safety. He was not safe. He was in a high-stress family situation. He gave up his happiness and even his very life, not to set an example, not for us to go, Jesus did that, now we feel bad about ourselves. But he did that to free us from ourselves. 
There's no breaking out of this self-referential loop that is our lives. And Jesus comes in to break us out of that and to loosen our grip on the things that we think are ours, but are in fact a gift from God. And I really want to be careful in saying all this again, because I do not want any of you to walk out of the room tonight going, I need to feel bad enough about that I'm in college, or I chose this major because I'm going to get a job, or my parents are well off, or because I'm still together with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, But what I want you to do is walk out of here tonight going, who are those things for? Ultimately, like all the things that you do, all the things that you achieve and possess, and you're like, who are they for? What is the story of my stuff? Um, St. Augustine, who loved Jesus about 1,600 years ago in North Africa, he put it really well. Listen, listen to Augustine. Okay? He said, the bellies of the poor are safer storehouses than our barns. The bellies of the poor are safer storehouses than our barns. Giving away things to people who need it, it will be digested in that belly, but it will be stored up in heaven forever. It has eternal significance and consequence. When, you, when Jesus frees you up from taking that thing for yourself and instead you give it to others, because that is how God is. Did you see that? God, in his nature, owes us nothing, and he gives us everything. Jesus says at the end of this passage, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not holding anything back from you. He's lavishing it all on you. And that means that you can, in Christ, give things away with no more complicated rationale than Jesus gave everything to me. And that's it. That is it. Jesus held nothing back from me. He gave everything to me. This stuff that I'm, I'm trying to secure my life with is killing me. But he's freeing me up to give it away. There is no stress in that. There is no anxiety in that. There's no stress and anxiety in a free gift. There's not. And that grace is the mechanism on which the world runs. Um, one of the great blessings of my life, this is really weird, and I did not assume it would be this way, would being, was, is being in a position where I have to raise all of the, my salary. So you guys, this is like the most horrifying idea. It's like, I'm like, hey, you should go work for RUF and do the RUF internship. And you're like, oh, I have to ask people for money. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be super, super good for you. Because at the end of the day, I never, I mean, this doesn't make me more spiritual I raise support because everybody gets their support in some way because someone gave it to you. I don't get that check and go, I earned this. I worked hard. Okay? But I always have a sense at the end of the day, that's somebody else's charity for me. And everything we have is from God's charity. So, to bring this all down into a nice little landing, I know you guys aren't feeling like you have a lot of resources. Like you have a lot of wealth and possessions right now. Some of you guys are right about that, and some of you guys are a little confused. Um, But I think the thing that we possess that we guard more heavily than anything else is our time. So here's a way you could begin to live in this new story of freedom. This week coming up, 
Who is your time for? Who do you have time for? Do you have time for class and the people that make you feel good about yourself and give you life and fill you up? Do you have any time for someone other than ourselves? Who could your time be for where the end isn't you? Um, and my, I know, know that sounds harsh. My pitch to you is you will find a lot of freedom in giving that to someone else because Jesus has done it for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, that you have not held anything back from us, but you have given to us freely. When we say grace at RUF, are we read grace in your word? Are we hear grace in your church? That is something that we did not deserve that you gave us just because you loved us and just because you wanted to. Lord, don't bind us with false guilt. I am so, so easy for me to, to heap false guilt on others and on myself. But Lord, give us freedom in you to love others, to fill other bellies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.